Ephesians 4, verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. And God, as we turn our hearts to your word, we ask that you would change us this morning by your word. We pray that you'd correct us with your word. We pray this morning that your word would accomplish in us your purposes. We pray that your word would equip us for a life of faithfulness unto you. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Burn it in us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cold or warm syrup? Right hand if you want cold syrup. Left hand if you want warm syrup. Cold or warm syrup? This is participatory. Thing. Fake or real tree? Fake right hand, real tree left hand. Some of you are putting up two trees this year. Thing. Cornflakes on your cheesy potatoes or chips on your cheesy potatoes? Cornflakes right hand, chips left hand. I got to count here. Hold on. We're trying to solve some issues in our home. Thing. How about toilet paper over the top on the reel or toilet paper under on the reel? Over the top on the reel, right hand. Under the reel, left hand. Thing. Some of you are like demanding on that one. Thing. Thing. Now, let me ask you this. Why warm syrup? Why cold syrup? Why a real tree? Why a fake tree? Why cornflake? I mean... Why chips? Thing. Why toilet paper one way or the other way? I'm sure this morning that the answer is pretty much the same for all of us. Well, we've always done it that way. Or that's the way it was in the house when I grew up. I mean, how many of you have really ever conducted a study? What's better for your health, warm syrup or cold syrup? How many of you 
besides Jerry Hoyer, have ever run a spreadsheet analysis, what's better, a fake tree or a long tree in the long run? How many of you have actually run a productivity? What's quicker to get the toilet paper over the top or coming from the bottom? I'm sure none of us have spent a great deal of time and thought into these decisions. Basically, you could say we've imitated our parents or those around us. You see, this morning, we're reminded that we are really good imitators. We are really good at seeing what someone else does and do it that way in our own lives. Why do we reflect certain things? We reflect certain things because that's what we saw reflected to us. Maybe you've had it said to you at some point in your life where someone has said, oh, you must be a Johnson thing. And this has nothing to do with Amy and Adrian. You're not sitting in the front row as usual thing. So you must be a Johnson. They're like, well, why thing? Well, because you act this way. And when you act this way, it puts you in that family, right? right? When you got crazy kids just running everywhere, I'm not, I don't mean that thing. thing. So when you do a certain thing, it reflects that you come from a certain family because you expect certain family members to imitate what has been done unto them. This morning, we're challenged and we're reminded to examine our level of imitation and ask ourselves, am I imitating what's being done to me? Am I imitating what's being done around the world? Or am I imitating what God has done for me in Christ Jesus? This morning laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 4 is a variety of exhortations or commands. All of these exhortations or commands can basically be summarized by saying we should do what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And there's three different areas we're going to focus on this morning of areas where we can reflect the image of Christ, where we can imitate Christ and show the likeness of God to the world around us. That's words, work, and relationships. In our words, are we reflecting the image of God? In our work, are we reflecting the image of God? And in our relationships, are we reflecting the image of God? First, if you look with me in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, there's a variety of spots here in this passage where he focuses on our speech or the words used. Ephesians 4, 25, he says, Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And then verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. In other words, saying, hey, hey, change your language. But what I want you to notice this morning is the reason to change our language. The reason to change our language is not because, because I said so. I mean, how many of us grew up in a home where we maybe said a bad word and then said, well, why can't I say that? And sometimes the response is just, because I said so. Well, that's not the response or the reason for God's command. It's not like God's sitting up there going, I just want to have some people follow some commands, so I'm just going to say some stuff. No, God gives us commands because when those commands are obeyed, people benefit. Look with me, if you would, at verse 25. The first reason to put away falsehood is why? For we are members one of another. You see, when we're dishonest, it's not just affecting us, but it's affecting those around us. So the big deal of lying is that you're hurting someone that's connected to you. We benefit other people when we speak the truth. And then in verse 29, 
Why, why do I got to uplift people? Verse 29 says, that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, that our words would benefit those around us. This morning, if we want to reflect the image of God in the way we speak, we can ask ourselves a very simple question. And what I saying, is what I am saying benefiting who I'm speaking to or who I'm speaking about? This is how you can quench gossip really quick. And like, let's be honest for a second. We've got a serious gossip problem, right? In our church and in our homes, we've got a serious gossip problem. We joke about it in the church world. People write jokes about this stuff, about how the church is the place of gossip, then we laugh about it. But yet God tells us not to gossip. Well, how can we know if we're gossiping? Well, here's maybe the best way of thinking about it. You know you've crossed the line when what you are saying is not benefiting the person you are talking about. When we talk about someone, it should be for their benefit, even if they're not with us. Why? Because we are members one of another. We're part of the same community. We're part of the same creation. And then when we're talking to people, the question is simply, am I building them up? Basically, am I benefiting them? The word here is grace, that he says, so that each person may experience grace. Think of it this way. When you speak to someone, are they experiencing God's riches? That's what grace is. Grace is God's favor. So when you talk to someone, they should be experiencing the favor of God. When you speak to people, are they experiencing God's favor in the way that you're talking to them? Not just in what you are saying, but in the way that you are saying it to them. Our words are extremely important. Our words are important enough that God would include it in His Word to give us some direction. Because our speech reflects a great deal upon who we are imitating. I mean, I kind of want to watch a Christmas movie at our house right now. This Christmas movie is not exactly family friendly. So I was informed yesterday that we're not allowed to watch this Christmas movie in our home this year. Well, why? Think. There's a good reason. Now there's a young person wandering around that's just going to basically say every word that comes out of the Christmas movie, right? Because they're going to imitate what's being spoken. We do the same thing. We imitate what's spoken to us. So when someone speaks unbeneficially to us, if that's a word, we usually imitate that by speaking that right back to them, right? If we know someone is speaking poorly of us, what do we do? We imitate that speech and speak poorly of them and justify it by their speech. But God does not say justify your speech by the speech of another. God says, let all your words bring grace when you speak about and when you speak to someone. We reflect the image of Christ when we speak blessing about and to people. But God's not just concerned about our words this morning. He's also concerned about our work. Look with me if you would at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this is a verse that all of us can agree on this morning, right? I mean, how many of you are sitting out there going, Amen! Preach it! we got so many people in our society right now that are just living on other people. They're living on the government. They're living on people. They need to work and take care of themselves. Okay, take a breath for a second. Think. 
You see, the reason God is saying here to work is actually not so that you can take care of yourself. It's actually quite different than that. Look with me if you would at verse 28. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The reason that we work is not so that we can build wealth. The reason that we work is that we can contribute to the community around us. God is calling us for diligence in our work so that we are a contributor to community. Not just so that we can take care of ourselves, everybody can take care of ourselves, and then we're good to go. We're not meant to live independent of one another, but we're meant to live dependent upon one another. We're meant to receive contributions, and we're meant to give contributions. We are lazy people. We've got a serious work problem in our country, I think. And I'm not talking just about people that get paid. I'm not talking about paid jobs. We've got a mindset in our country that says, I work five days a week so that I can play two days a week. The intention in the creation of work, God wasn't like, well, geez, I better give them something to do so they don't get in trouble seven days a week. Thing. God was giving us work because when we work, we display the image of a creator God. Adam and Eve did what in the garden? It's not like they sat around and ate tree from one fruit and looked at the other tree going, can't eat tree from that fruit, fruit from that tree. They worked in the garden. We're going to work in heaven because we are created to work. We're created to contribute to the community around us. This morning, it's time that you begin to see your job as part of your created calling. No matter what you're doing, whether you're delivering mail, whether you're working the register somewhere, whether you're caring for people in a nursing home, you're actually fulfilling your created calling because you're contributing to community. We need all of the different aspects working together. This morning, we were created to work. And work isn't just going and getting paid, but work is being active in society for the benefit of others. And where you really get a picture of this is in colonies, and colonies isn't the right word, but if you look in our country, there's certain groups of people that have kind of taken themselves out of society and go and built like a um, colony somewhere. And in these colonies, what happens is everybody has a responsibility. They're all contributing to the good of the colony. Now, these groups of people did not just invent this idea. They're like, oh, we got a good idea. Let's go do this. Everybody contribute. They're building off of a history of this in religious societies that goes all the way back into the Old Testament when everybody in the people of God had a responsibility to contribute. Today, you and I have got a responsibility to, to contribute to the world around us. Do you go to work in the morning with vigor? You should. Do you wake up on Saturday and not say, hey, oh, I get to be lazy today? Do you wake up on Saturday and say, hey, I get to be active today. I get to contribute to my family or those around me. I may not be getting paid for it, but I still have an opportunity to contribute. We're called to work because when we work, we display the image of God. In the Old Testament, and partially we can make an argument, in the New Testament as well, God said work six days and you get a day for a Sabbath. That day for the Sabbath was not sitting around watching the Vikings for three hours and then doing nothing the rest of the day. That Sabbath day was going to worship. It was participating in festivities, spending time with family. It's time that we begin to contribute 
that we become active in creation, looking out for the benefit of those around us. Do people who are stealing need to stop stealing? Absolutely. But the reason behind it gives us a real glimpse into the heart of God. And that heart is one of community where he says, so that they can contribute to the needs of others. How cool is that? To move from one who is stealing to one who is contributing. You have not repented if you've only stopped stealing and started working and taking care of yourself. You've only repented when you've stopped stealing and you've started sharing. You see, repentance is not a stop sign. Repentance is a U-turn. I don't just stop one behavior, but rather what I do is I start a whole new lifestyle of behaviors. So the same is true of our words and our work. God's not saying, hey, just stop using filthy language. Stop being lazy. No, what he's saying is this. Use language that builds people up. Use language that blesses people and work to bless other people. It's a complete reversal of how we normally live in our sinful ways. God wants us to display His image in our words and in our work. God wants us to display His image in our relationships. This is where the rubber meets the road because this is what our life consists of. Our life consists of relationships. Everything we've got going on right now in life consists of people with us. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 32 in Ephesians 4 through chapter 5 here. Ephesians 4, 32, 31, I'm sorry. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you and all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See the emphasis here? This idea of put away all this unhealthy stuff and entering into a life of imitating God. You can, you can say it this way. Do for another what God has done for you. Do for another what God has done for you. We teach morality or behavior like this. We say this. Would you like to be treated that way? And we're hoping that the person says, no, I don't want to be treated that way. Well, treat them the way you would like to be treated. That's actually not the biblical view of morality. The biblical view of morality is not do to others as you want done unto yourself. It's do to others what God has done unto you. There's a major difference. That we're called to actually treat people the same way that God has treated us. And look at this stuff that God wants us to put away. Just for a moment, for a moment, think to yourself, okay, maybe you don't want to treat someone the way that God's treated you. Think for your own benefit for a second of what it would do to put away the things in verse 31. Well, think of this. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and you said, man, I hope today I run into that person at the copy machine who's really bitter? Who wants to hang out with a bitter person? Bitterness isn't just this individual thing that pollutes you. Bitterness is air pollution. Because what bitterness does, it doesn't just affect you, it infects the environment where you are found. So again, you want to be someone that people want to be around? We would do well to put some of this stuff to death. Bitterness is simply resentment or a sharp angst that we have against someone else. And we've all had it. 
someone's left something undone or someone's done something to us. And from that point forward, we always have a sharp angst against that person and then it basically looks something like this. Oh, person rubs me the wrong way. So we just kind of do the ignore thing with them or we're short with them. And then it builds up as the verse follows along here. Bitterness is just the start. And then it ends with malice. What's malice? Malice is desiring bad for someone and then rejoicing when that bad happens. See, what happens is we get resentful towards someone and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, I do not want that person to succeed. I don't want anything good to happen to them. Next thing it moves to, I want something bad to happen to them. And then I'm going to rejoice when something bad happens to them. Sometimes it looks like this. You disagree with the decision, right, at work. You disagree with the decision. It's not a sin thing at all. It's just a preference issue at work. You disagree with the decision, so you're kind of grumpy about it from that point forward, not participating at all. And now what you're hoping for is you're hoping that the decision will fail. You're hoping that your boss will fall flat now because of that decision. That's bitterness working its way to malice where God would have us say, be imitators of him. Do you ever think when we failed, God was like, oh, I hope they start failing more. I hope they fail more and really learn their lesson this time. That's not the picture we see in the scriptures. That's not the picture we see of Jesus when a prostitute comes. Jesus doesn't say, oh, just return to your folly and I hope that you learn at some point because of the way that that man treats you that you turn around. That's not God's favor towards us. And now we're asked to exhibit that same favor towards others, even when others wrong us. Even when others are opposed to us. We're asked to do unto them what God has done unto us. It's black and white right here. Be imitators of God as beloved children. This morning, we would do well to ask ourselves the question, how has God treated me? This morning, God has treated all of you very nicely, very kindly, because God has been extremely patient with you. Because according to the scriptures, this morning all of us should be underneath the wrath of God. According to the scriptures, we have fallen short of God's glory. And according to the scriptures, penalty for sin is death. There's only one way to pay for sin, the shedding of blood. God has been extremely kind to everyone here this morning. God has been extremely patient with everyone here this morning and is being extremely patient this morning. I guarantee this morning the majority of us would raise our hands and say, hey, we're not perfect yet. And so therefore, what are we banking on? We're banking on some more patience from God. Because that's how God is toward us. Well, is that how we are towards those around us? This morning, we reflect the image of Jesus Christ when we exhibit to others what God has exhibited to us. Here's the reality. People are difficult. Right? I mean, I think we would agree on that, right? People are difficult. So if you agree with that truth, people are difficult, there's a sub-truth to that. That sub-truth is this. I am difficult. No, not just me, anything. Thing. You too, right? If people are difficult, 
I am difficult. I think we should say that together this morning. I am difficult. When we remember how difficult we ourselves are, especially in relation to God, it reminds us to be patient and extend kindness to those who are difficult towards us. The majority of our relational issues are actually not because of sin done to us or sin done among us. The majority of our relational issues are the way in which we respond to differences with those around us. So for example, my wife and I have got a variety of differences. I, I've got a lot of things that I like to do a certain way. thing. And so one of the things that just drives me nuts thing, is when you start the car and the fan is on high, especially in winter. And then they leave the fan on high and it's just cold air flowing on you. I'm thinking, turn the fan down, thing, thing, right? Who's with me on this? Be careful, thing. Now, now, is it sin to leave the fan on high? Thank you, yes, close, thing, thing. I think we could all agree this morning. It's not sin to leave the fan on high, nor is it sin to turn the car on and then turn the fan to high right away, even when it's cold and the heater hasn't warmed up. That's not sin. However, I mean, it's not my way, but it's not sin. Thing. It's a difference. Now, this is what usually happens, right? Fan gets left on high. How do you respond? Turn the fan to low. Makes no sense. Why would you blow cold air in the car? Thing. Are you trying to freeze us out? That's just stupid. I mean, who, your father is an idiot. How did he train you like this? Thing. What? Now, I've never said that thing. I'm not... <laughs> I'm just portraying what could happen in that instance. Thing. So what just happened here? Let's walk through this. We had a difference, an area that was not sin. What happened? The way in which I responded quickly turned it into a sinful situation. Because what happened? All of a sudden, I clamored and I actually slandered. Stupid, idiot, all about a response to a difference. And then, then what happens? It next moves one up. Now I'm sitting there going, ha, huh, I hope that's a cold ride the whole way to work this morning. Thing. You get what you deserve. So now I've moved from bitterness, resentment, slander, all the way to malice, hoping that they get what they deserve, cold air blowing the whole car ride. Something unsinful has now produced something actually sinful just by the way in which I respond to the difference. This is the majority of our relational problems. Are there times when we are sinned against? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there times when we've done wrong? Absolutely. But the vast majority of our relationship in our marriages, and in our workplaces, and how much more in our own church, the issue is not that we've actually been sinned against or something has sinful happened. But the challenge is, is when we respond to a difference. And it's when we respond to a difference in a way that produces resentment, slander, and ultimately malice that leads to brokenness, that leads to unhealthiness, not just for you, but for all involved. So how is it that we put ourselves in a position where when there's even the slightest of difference, we don't respond with shortness and anger, but we respond with tenderness? As it said there in Ephesians 4.32 where it says, be tender-hearted, 
and forgiving one another. We put ourselves in that position by building into our mind and becoming the type of people that want to do unto others what God has done unto us. This morning, we can begin to put the Christ back into Christmas by putting Christ back into the words that we speak, by putting Christ back into the way that we work, and by putting Christ at the center of our relationships by doing to others what God has done unto us. And what has God done unto us this morning? God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's left heaven. I've, I've talked about this a ton. I just, I've been trying to think of a better way to explain it, to just get us caught up in the majesty and the greatness of it. So Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus was in heaven. And now, let's think about heaven for a second. Heaven is not a studio apartment in downtown Sioux Falls, where everything's in one little spot. Heaven, streets of gold. Heaven, everything is perfect. And now catch this. Heaven, where you're being worshipped 24-7. So that, that's where you're at. Jesus is sitting on a throne just being worshipped. And at Christmas, what happens? We celebrate that Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give up the throne. I don't need to be worshipped 24-7. I'm going to give up the gold. I'm going to give up the comfort. And what does Jesus do? Literally. I mean, this stuff's not made up. I'll go to a manger. Not a nice, comfortable one in an American farm. I'm going to go to a rock, basically, and be born on that. I'm going to give up the throne of being worshipped, and I'm going to start walking around in sandals and being a carpenter, I'm going to start getting mocked by all of the religious leaders rather than being worshipped by the religious in heaven. At Christmas we celebrate that that's what God has done for us, that God has left the comfort of heaven and come to earth and lived in our place and had favor upon us. If God has left those comforts for our good, how much can we do for those around us? How much comfort can we leave for the good of our neighbor? for the good of our aunt, for the good of our son, for the good of our enemy. This Christmas, look to what God has done for you, left the richness of heaven and came and became poor on your behalf. And let what God has done for you drive what you will do for others. Praise be to God for what he has done on our behalf. Now let us go forth and show the world by the way we treat others what he has done. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks. Lord, I am enamored and awestruck that you would leave the comfort of a mansion, that you would leave the comfort of being worshipped and come and lived in our midst. God, thank you. God, we praise you. We honor you. Lord, we pray now that you would instill that same mindset in us. God, I pray this morning that for anyone that's in the middle of a difficult relationship right now. I pray for anyone that's been wronged. I pray for anyone that's struggling with a difference with their mate or their difference with a coworker. Lord, I pray right now for tender hearts in all of us. I pray that in each of our relationships this morning, God, we can display what you have done for us. Thank you for your patience with us, God. We ask now that you'd empower us to extend that to others. God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.